WABC New York and 1071 WLIR Hampton Bays. It's the 77 WABC News Hour. Talking the news with Noah Layden. All the news you need to know with Joe Nolan, Traffic, Justin Ellick, Sports. And now, talking the news with Noah on 77 WABC. Yep, that's me. Five o'clock. Good morning. It is Monday, February 5th. Your forecast from the Ramsey Mazda Weather Center. Just a beauty on the way. If you like the weekend, we're just going to continue it today. Sunshine high for. 45 tonight and overnight clear low 30 and then tuesday mostly sunny high 42 if you're walking out the door with us right now 29 and clear in mount ivy in rockland county it's 28 and clear in sparta down in new jersey and it is 32 and clear outside our midtown studios a lot to get to as we work our way up six o'clock hour sid and friends in the morning i spend a fair amount of Sundays when my oldest was still home and not at college watching Manchester United. Now, I was never a soccer fan or football, whatever you want to call it, but he kind of turned me into one. And it seems more Americans are more interested in the sport than they ever have been. And, of course, you have the immigrant population, which is or continue to be huge fans. So now the World Cup is going to be played next time in 2026 in the U.S. Uh, some of it will be played in Canada as well. But the World Cup final, that was what everybody was waiting to hear about yesterday, where the final would take place. And this big announcement, if you're a soccer fan, waiting for it to happen, and it took place yesterday, and they picked MetLife Stadium. That's where the World Cup final will be held. Uh, FIFA, FIFA making this news official yesterday afternoon. The most coveted game of the international tournament will take place in East Rutherford, New Jersey. There had been rumors it was going to be Dallas, but no. In the end, Mayor Adams and Governor Murphy, who were part of this team that made the pitch, were pretty damn excited. Let's go, New Jersey and New York City. See, See you, you in 2026. FIFA requires there'll be natural gl- uh, grass services for all World Cup games. MetLife will be putting it down for the tournament, the New Jersey venue, which, of course, is, what, about 12 miles outside of New York City? I think it's a little less than that. The Jets, the Giants, uh, of course, play there. They beat out Los Angeles and Dallas. Here's Governor Murphy, who was at a party celebrating after the announcement was made yesterday. The most diverse part of, never mind the country, the entire world, uh, Eric and I were making that pitch that it's not just huge soccer culture, but huge diversity values that are on the right side of of history. Uh, you mentioned the economic impact, Camille. I'm told about $2 billion worth of economic impact. Yeah, people from all over the world, of course, will come here. Boston, Kansas City, Philly, Houston, Seattle, San Francisco, they're also going to host games. But they didn't get the final. We got the final. MetLife Stadium holds about 82,000 fans. Of course, it's hosted a lot of large-scale events in the past, including the Super Bowl. The CEO of the Meadowlands, of course, you can imagine, he's pretty damn excited that the World Cup's coming here. We're going to have uh, people uh, in from, from all around the globe for six or eight weeks, starting in June of uh, 2026. The economic impact of the World Cup is going to be north of $2 billion. We have all the accommodations. we got the transportation system. we got the, the region's diversity, and we got the know-how of doing big events. Three matches of the 2024 Copa America will also happen at MetLife. It'll be essentially a warm-up for the World Cup. To have the final in New York, New Jersey, um, you know, is a dream come true for me. To think about, you know, when I was little, going to watch the Cosmos and them selling out Giant Stadium and now 
this stadium is going to host a, a World Cup final. So it, it's re- really special. That's one of the heads of American soccer. And you can imagine businesses, of course, some of them in East Rutherford, others here back in the city, also excited because it'll mean some serious dollars. Anything that involves the MetLife Stadium or down in the Meadowlands usually increases business tenfold. It usually goes up everywhere, in every business in town, you'll see it. Yeah, all right, so we're two years away. Should be exciting. 504. The uh, Grammys were last night. Did you watch any of this? It ends up being one of the more viewed live events of the year. <laughs> uh, one of the rappers who uh, actually ended up going home empty last night, his name is Killer Mike. Uh, I'm not familiar with him. Maybe you are. Uh, he was about to be arrested, and he had to take the stage. It was a confusing moment at the Grammys last night. I want to thank everyone who dares to believe that art can change the world. So thank Dre, thank Future, thank Aaron, thank all the producers on here. Yeah, so Killer Mike, I said he went home empty-handed. Actually, he didn't. He won Best Rap Album Award for Michael. He also nabbed both rap performance and Best Rap Song for Scientists and Engineers. But then TMZ said that Mike was detained, followed this alleged physical altercation. Uh, he wasn't put under arrest. And the Los Angeles police say they'll release more details about what t- happened to Killer Mike, <laughs> the rapper, last night at the, at the uh, Grammy Awards. When we left you on Friday, we had told you about this lost puppy who boarded a New Jersey transit train last week. Uh, this was on Thursday. The dog, dog followed an unrelated commuter. This was about 7.52 in the morning on Thursday. And he hopped aboard this train near uh, West Orange. And he took the train all the way to the Hoboken Terminal. And uh, somewhere along the way, the people aboard this train realized he was aboard. And so then they called the Humane Society in Hoboken and they came in and they took the dog and then they put the name and the pictures of the dog out on social media. The dog had not been shipped. So they were really worried that, like, how are they going to reunite this dog with the owner? Now, we ended up covering the story. So did a lot of other media outlets. And last night. The uh, dog uh, was reunited, animal control telling us, of the Humane Society in Jersey City, which ultimately had this dog. that They had named him Obi because they were worried nobody was going to come pick him up. They found the dog's uh, owner, and they reunited the two yesterday. So that dog is going back home, how he ended up on the train and not with his owner. I imagine those details will come out a little bit later today. WABC News Time 508. Boy, Los Angeles, California getting smacked with this weather system that's bringing all kinds of rain. Rain they just have never seen like this before. Rain already falling. The storm could affect as many as 94% of the state's population. There's already flooding. We're looking at pictures of it this morning. California's Office of Emergency Services Director says if you don't have to go out, they're warning some places not to go out today. Avoid non-essential travel during the peak of the storm. Don't walk, swim, or drive through flooded waters. Do not go around road barriers uh, indicating flood flooded roadways. If you watched a little bit of the Grammys last night, they were talking about this deluge of rain. Los Angeles Mayor Karen Bass emphasizing the storm is not one to take lightly. Storms can change quickly, but let me be clear. This storm is a serious weather event. Yeah, so it's flash flooding from Monterey to Los Angeles. Now, 
they do sometimes get this flooding, but apparently not rain like this. This has the potential to be a historic storm, severe winds, thunderstorms, and even brief tornadoes. This storm will flow without regard to city limits or jurisdictional distinction, so we are all working closely with county, state, and federal officials. And they're also worried about wind gusts. During high winds, avoid going outside as there are dangerous debris, falling tree limbs, and down power lines. High winds may lead to power outages. Keep your batteries uh, handy for your devices. Plan for other alternative power sources. Yeah, so we'll watch this historic storm as it sort of blows through the Southern California area. 510, a member of the Biden administration, says the U.S. gave Iraq sufficient advance notice about the airstrikes against Iran-backed militias. This took place on Friday. It was in response to that drone attack that killed three Americans last week. We also want to see the Iraqi government move with more alacrity to help us uh, rid the threat of these militia groups on Iraqi soil. National Security Council spokesman John Kirby there says there were appropriate notifications and discussions with the Iraqi government prior to the strikes. There were appropriate notifications and discussions with the, the Iraqi government. I'll leave it at that. The Houthis are attacking shipping that has absolutely nothing to do with Israel. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan there says and doesn't believe the U.S. airstrikes against those Iran-backed militias and against the Houthis will jeopardize efforts to free the hostages of 132 still being held by Hamas in Gaza. It's up to Hamas to come forward and respond to uh, what is a serious proposal. And we will continue to press the Qataris and the Egyptians to try to generate a positive response to that. Of course, all of this firing back and forth, whether it's between us and the Houthis or the Iraqi-based militias, all connected to that war that's taking place between Hamas and Israel. A negotiation among Israel and Hamas backed by Egypt, Qatar, and the United States. Yes, so, you know, there was this one proposal that would stop the war for a certain period of time for the release of all the hostages that were remaining. Initially, Hamas said, no way, that's not going to happen. Now, apparently, they've peeled back, uh, took a step back, and they're looking at that deal. Meanwhile, a top White House official says the U.S. intends to launch more airstrikes against those Iran-backed groups in the Middle East. We intend to take additional strikes uh, and additional action to continue to send a clear message that the United States will respond when our forces are attacked or our people are killed. American forces are attacked. We will respond. And we've responded several times over the course of the past few months. Yeah, and so the Pentagon says the U.S. is ready for retaliation related to those Friday airstrikes. I can't predict the future on how Iran will respond, but I can tell you that whatever they do and whatever these IRGC-backed groups do, either in Iraq or Syria or anywhere else in the world, the United States military will always respond and hold those forces accountable. Deputy Pentagon Press Secretary Sabrina Singh there said... Making it clear, the assessments on Friday's airstrikes are ongoing, but she also said the Pentagon is confident the strikes had their intended success. This is a multi-pronged strategy. Uh, we're not changing our approach here, and I'll just leave it at that. Five let let's bring it back home. House Speaker Mike Johnson says a Republican-backed effort to impeach Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas 
is completely different from the Democrat-backed impeachment of former President Trump. We have followed the facts where they have led, not for political purposes, not because we take pleasure in this. It's, a, again, a heavy thing to, to look at the impeachment of a president or a cabinet secretary. Johnson says that unlike the impeachment proceedings against Trump, Republican-led committees have methodically gone through the impeachment process. The House has methodically, slowly, deliberately gone through the impeachment process, impeachment inquiry, impeachment investigation on Mayor. It was last week the House Homeland Security Committee approved two articles of impeachment against Mayorkas by a vote of 18 to 50, strictly uh, 18 to 15, rather strictly on party lines. Johnson says to move the impeachment for uh, Mayorkas is not political. It's that he hasn't done his job. This taking place as a leading negotiator uh, says a bipartisan Senate border deal would eliminate the controversial catch-and-release policy. This is a deal that initially the House said would be dead on arrival. We'll have to see what takes place. Folks who do qualify for asylum will be on a rapid path, six months or less, to start a new life in America. And those who do not qualify will quickly be returned to their home countries. Arizona Senator Kristen Sinema criticizing catch-and-release because of the length of time migrants could be in the U.S. for for having to appear before a judge. The former Democrat who turned independent said they would be interviewed during short-term detention to determine whether or not they're eligible for asylum. We'll ensure that we're supervising them over the course of just three months and conduct that interview with that new higher standard. And Siena says there's a, a cinemas rather says there's a change about mandatory shutdown of the border when a number of migrants arrive. We're permitting the government to actually shut down the border when it only gets to 4,000 approaches a day. Yeah, we'll get more details about this deal or potential deal or no deal at all as the week wears on. All right, 515, let's head over to the 77 WABC Sports Desk. Justin Ellick was doing it all last week from Jerusalem. Today, he's back here in New York City. Good morning, Justin. Just like that, Noam. How about yeah. it? I mean, it's like crazy how uh, you could be in one place one day and the next day just in a completely different place. Isn't that really interesting? It is. It's, it is amazing how you can fly from one place and then <laughs> come back home. Oh, don't patronize me. My God. <laughs> We'll get the hardwood here. No local action uh, in the NBA last night. Like, like three hours what? ago, I was home in Jersey City, and now yeah. I'm here. Yeah, okay. Kind of the same thing, except yeah. not really. Because <laughs> I was folded like a chair on a plane for 12 hours. <laughs> right, that's true, yeah. <laughs> Welcome back. Oh, that's not nice, Louis. Wow. Look at this. You know? I didn't even, I didn't even pay or ask for that. No, no extra payment was made for Lewis to play that. But you will get an invoice. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Nets will have us covered tonight on the hardwood. No returning to action at home. They're getting set to welcome in the Golden State Warriors for 7.30 p.m. tip-off. The league did officially lose one of its superstars for an extended period of time. Last night with news dropping that Philadelphia 76ers star Joel Embiid, the reigning league MVP, will undergo, uh, undergo a procedure to address a left meniscus injury in the coming days. The team announced last night Embiid is expected to miss an extended period, but a more precise timeline isn't expected until doctors uh, complete the procedure. Sources did say the Sixers have emphasized, though, that the door is not closed on a return this season for Embiid. Coming right out of the All-Star break in the NHL, the Rangers and Islanders will open up second-half action tonight with respective 7 p.m. puck drops in Toronto. The Islanders will butt heads with the Maple Leafs while the Rangers uh, open up the garden for a matchup with the visiting Colorado Avalanche. And finally, during a Pro Bowl 
uh, Sunday in the NFL. That's how the NFC beat the AFC 64-59 to in flag football. Uh, more legal trouble arose for the Mahomes family. The father of Kansas City Chiefs star quarterback Patrick Mahomes was arrested Saturday night in ta- Tyler, Texas, on suspicion of driving while intoxicated, according to online jail records. Patrick Mahomes Sr., 54, is facing a charge of driving while intoxicated a third or more, with his bond being set at $10,000. He was released from the Smith County Jail uh, yesterday afternoon. The charge is a third-degree felony and carries a sentence of up to 10 years in prison if he is convicted. Uh, His arrest comes just a week before his son is set to play against the San Francisco 49ers in Super Bowl 58 in Las Vegas. That's Sports No, and I'm Justin Alk on 77 WABC. WABC News Time 519. Let's go out to the race for the White House, the 2024 race for the White House. Former President Trump says it'll be a little while before he selects a running mate. It's got to be who would be a good president. I mean, you always have to think that because, you know, in case of emergency, things happen, right? No matter who you are, things happen. It's got to be number one. Trump says he has a lot of good people in mind. He singled out South Carolina Senator, former GOP presidential candidate Tim Scott. I watched him in the last week defending me and sticking up for me and fighting for me. I said, man, I said, you're a much better person for me than you are for yourself. Trump also said he likes South Dakota Governor Kristi Noem. Kristi Noem has been incredible fighting for me. She said I'd never run against him because I can't beat him. That was a very nice thing to say. And despite reports that the Trump campaign reached out to RFK Jr., Trump said that never happened. Meanwhile, President Biden says there's more at stake in 2024 than just a bid for re-election. This is not just a campaign. This is more of a mission. We cannot... We cannot, we cannot lose this campaign for the good of the country. And I mean that from the bottom of my heart. It's not about me. It goes well beyond me. It goes about the country. The president speaking to supporters, campaign workers at his headquarters in Wilmington, Delaware. The president says Americans are starting to realize he isn't exaggerating. They'll pull me aside one at a time and say, you've got to win. You've got to win. We can't afford. My, my country's at stake. Biden winning a landslide victory in South Carolina's Democratic primary over the weekend, got 97 percent of the vote. A prominent African-American congressman who's from South Carolina says it shows that the president has not lost any black support. His largest percentage, over 97 percent, was in the town of Orangeburg, where there are two HBCUs and a community college. South Carolina Democrat there, James Clyburn, pointing to Biden's diamond win in the Palmetto State, noticing, as she's heard here, that he won predominantly large numbers in African-American communities across the Palmetto State. That demonstrates to me what I've been saying all the time, uh, that Joe Biden has not lost any support among African-Americans. While we're in South Carolina, GOP presidential hopeful, former U.N. Ambassador Nikki Haley says the deadly drone attack on the U.S. outpost in Jordan could have been prevented if President Biden hadn't gotten the U.S. back out of the Iran deal. By doing that, he lifted the sanctions. All the money flowed to all of the terrorist proxies around the region. And now we're paying the price of that. Haley says she has a plan to stop Iran's influence. First, you put the sanctions. Then you go after one or two of the IRGC military leaders that are making these decisions. She's been in South Carolina, their primary 
primaries in the uh, February 24th, so that's uh, about three weeks away. Haley, trying to cut into former President Trump's lead in that upcoming primary. She's raised $24 million in the last three months of 2023, entered 2024 with over $14 million in her campaign account. So she's got a lot of money to keep going. We have had... 200,000 donors from all 50 states. 95% of those donations are $200 or less. This is about real Americans. But her number is actually pale in comparison to Trump as he enters the presidential election year with $33 million. But she's still celebrating the fact that she's still fundraising big dollars. So if you join with me, if you join this movement, if you join us in this fight... I promise you, I will do exactly what I did for you when I was governor of South Carolina. If you didn't stay up late to watch Saturday Night Live, well, first of all, I don't blame you because it's just not that funny anymore. But she was on, Nikki Haley, making a surprise appearance on SNL. They were doing this essentially fake town hall with a fake Donald Trump. And uh, they had this moment where people in the audience could ask questions. And one of those people was Nikki Haley. She stood up. Oh, my God, it's her, the woman who was in charge of security on January 6th. It's Nancy Pelosi. For the 100th time, that is not Nancy Pelosi. It is Nikki Haley. Are you doing okay, Donald? You might need a mental competency test. You know what I did? I took the test and I aced it. Okay, perfect score. They said I'm 100% mental. And, you know, I'm confident because I'm a man. That's why a woman should never run our economy. Women are terrible with money. In fact, a woman I know recently asked me for $83.3 million. And you spent $50 million in your own legal fees. Do you need to borrow some money? Oh, Nikki, don't do this, Nikki. <laughs> Nikki, Kiki, Tommy. Nikki, don't lose that number. Nikki Haley, Joel Osment. Nikki Haley, Joel Osment, we call her. Six cents, remember that one? I see dead people. Yeah, I could keep playing this, but uh, it wasn't that funny. It went on, unfortunately, for a long time. Meanwhile, President Biden, he's going to skip that pregame Super Bowl interview that usually the presidents do. This is the second year in a row, by the way, he skipped it. On Saturday, CBS said that the White House turned down the network's request for an interview with Biden before the big game, which is expected to be watched by tens of millions of people. It has become a somewhat regular tradition for presidents to be interviewed with the network that broadcasts the Super Bowl. Biden declined to sit for an interview with Fox News last year as well. I'm Jim Forbes. WABC News Time 525. A Russian cosmonaut holds the new record now for the most time in space. And as Scott Carr reports, that record actually continues to grow. Oleg Kononenko's first space launch was in 2008. He broke the record for the most days spent in space early Sunday morning by logging more than 878 days in space. And before he gets back to Earth in September, he'll have logged more than 1,100 days. Kononenko tells Reuters he never suffered any loneliness during all his days at the International Space Station with the accomplishment the 59-year-old beats out the record held by his fellow cosmonaut, Gennady Padalka. I'm Scott Carr in Washington. An asteroid the size of a football stadium has zoomed by Earth. On Friday, astronomers track the path of an asteroid that's estimated to be about 890 feet wide. The asteroid was within 1.7 million miles of our planet. This was the first time it passed by the Earth since 2016. And the next time it comes back our way in 2032... It'll be about 45 million miles away. The Virtual Telescope Project live-streamed the event on YouTube, so those who want to catch a glimpse of this mammoth asteroid can view the video. 
I'm Mark Mayfield. It was the Grammys last night. Victoria Monet winning the Best New Artist. And my roots have been growing underneath ground, unseen for so long. And I feel like today I'm sprouting, finally above ground. So I'd like to thank my team of visionaries who could see through that soil. Rochelle, thank you so much. Billie Eilish taking home Song of the Year at this year's Grammys. The song, What Was I Made For? Literally like I was looking at everybody's faces and I leaned over and I was like, not a chance. Yo, I just want to say everybody in this category, like, that was a crazy list of incredible people, incredible artists, incredible music. And Taylor Swift making Grammys history, her fourth album of the year, winning for Midnight. It makes me unbelievably blown away that it makes some people happy who voted for this award, too. All I want to do is keep doing this. So thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to do what I love so much. Yeah, she also kind of broke the Internet last night with her surprise announcement during the ceremony, revealing that her brand new album, Tortured Poets Department, will drop April 19th. And Miley Cyrus taking home record of the year. Ah, this award is amazing, but I really hope that it doesn't change anything because my life was beautiful yesterday. All right, let's take a look at Wall Street opening bell. It rings this morning after Wall Street closed higher Friday to end the week. S&P 500 hit a new record high as tech companies, including Meta, lifted markets following a stronger-than-expected jobs report. Shares of Meta jumped more than 20% during the session. At the closing bell, the Dow gained 134 points. S&P 500, 52. NASDAQ was up 267 points. Talk Radio 77 WABC. It's the 77 WABC News Hour. Talking the news with Noah Layden. All the news you need to know with Joe Nolan, Traffic, Justin Ellick, Sports. And now, talking the news with Noah on 77 WABC. Yep, that's me, 532. Good morning. It is Monday, February 5th. Your forecast from the Ramsey Mazda Weather Center. Just a beauty on the way. Sunshine, high 45. Tonight and overnight, clear, low 30. And then we'll do it kind of all over again tomorrow. Mostly sunny, high 42. If you're walking out the door with us right now, so happy you are. 29 and clear in Mount Ivy up in Rockland County. It's 28 and clear in Sparta down in New Jersey. And it is 31 and clear outside our Midtown studios. What a weekend, right? It was beautiful. And the good thing we'll continue it today. We'll start with kind of a story that ended happily. The suffocating fire racing through a Rockland County apartment building uh, in Spring Valley, West Eckerson Road. This woman is on the top floor with her eight-month-old baby, worried that she's not going to be able to get out. This neighbor, and we could not get his name, which is unfortunate because we should be saluting him, he climbs a tree to then... Uh, convince the mother to hand the baby to him so he can bring the baby down to the street below. And she does. And he takes this eight-month-old and then climbs back down the tree. Uh, total absolute hero. I saw a lot of people over there, like three people, they're screaming. 
I saw three people, one baby, she, I think she have like one years old. Yeah, I was scared because I know safety first. I just, I tried to save the baby. And he did. He did. And, and thankfully, everybody actually okay. It took about 75 firefighters from five different departments to knock down the fire in this building. The fire apparently started in the kitchen of one of the top floor apartments. But what a good guy that he climbed a tree and it was no small tree to get this baby and to help uh, that family out. And thankfully, everybody got out okay. There are some new developments in that attack on the NYPD cops in Times Square. That's the one where it was all the migrants jumping two cops last, well, not this past weekend, but the weekend before. One immigrant advocacy group is calling on the police to release the body cam video. The video we've all seen has been surveillance camera video. This has the Manhattan DA, Alvin Bragg, plans to take new action uh, come tomorrow against the wanted suspects. Only one spus- uh, only one of these suspects is in jail for that January, uh, January 27th assault. Around a dozen people uh, uh, are still, they're still looking for about a dozen people. It could have been like 17 involved. I mean, there's all these varying numbers of how many people were involved, but it was a lot. And uh, Alvin Bragg says they're still gathering all the information. They want to make sure that the right people are held accountable. It's our job to parse out who did what and to charge the right person with the right crime. Um, And that's what we're doing. So we're seeing these varying numbers. One is 14. The other one is 17. Whatever it was, it was a bunch of creeps who attacked these two NYPD cops as they tried to break up a fight in Times Square two Saturdays ago. There was word that four of these migrants got on a bus to California, but Alvin Bragg said he's not so sure that part of the story is accurate. It is essential that we conclusively identify each defendant and specify each defendant's each person's participant in the incident. Yeah, he's confident they'll be able to round all these people up. Governor Hochul over the weekend saying that anybody who was involved in this attack uh, should be sent back to their home countries. An assault on a police officer means that you should be sitting in jail like there's an individual right now sitting in Rikers uh, pending your trial date. And now, I reached out to the mayor's office on Friday and I said, hey, Governor Hochul says she wants all of these migrants involved in that attack on those two police officers be sent packing home. Where do you, Mayor Adams, uh, side with this? And I got a return email from his press office and they said that anybody who was involved in these attacks would be kicked out of the shelter system, but they didn't take it to the next step, saying that those immigrants, those migrants should be sent packing to their home countries. Meanwhile, a security robot. Do you remember the security robot that was seen in the subways, patrolling the subways uh, using AI? Well, apparently it's been taken off the streets. And one of the reasons was they didn't realize that the robot could not navigate stairs, which was kind of a big deal. The Nightscope K5 robot works with human police officers and records video for cops to review after a crime is committed. The New York Post reports K5's final assignment was last week at the Times Square station. Mayor Adams had touted the robot when the pilot program began in September, calling it an innovative tool to fight crime. However, subway riders who spoke to the Post said it didn't make them feel any safer, while one MTA worker said the subways need police, not robots. K-5 cost the city $12,500, with officials saying it was paid for with forfeiture funds. WABC Newstime 539 early voting has begun in the race to fill that seat that George Santos was kicked out of, the one in the 3rd District that covers portions of Long Island and a small portion of Queens. Mozzie Pillup is the 
Democrat, who is a Republican, who's the Republican candidate, is a little confusing. And Tom Swazi, no doubt you know that name. He was the congressman from that district. The Democrat who left to run for governor now wants his old seat back. So early voting has begun. Again, we are seeing, you know, what my my opponent and the political his political leaders are doing to gain power. They are lying nonstop, and they're lying and misguiding the public, and it's so, so wrong. That's Mazi Pillip, who says Tom Swazi's campaign ads are taking cheap shots at her. Swazi says national campaign groups launching aggressive ads against Pillip, adding his own ads, are focusing on issues like the cost of living and gun control. A campaign sticking point for both candidates is the migrant crisis, with Pillip accusing Swazi of wanting to fix the problem he created while he was in Congress. Now he's telling us. Okay, he would like to go back and fix it. We know he's not capable to do so. We know all he wants is power. Again, another power. And Philip really upset about these national groups who've been launching ads trying to win over the seat. Of course, it was Republican held when Santos had it. And uh, now the Democrats want to take it back. My commercials, I'm pretty much sticking to the issues as much as possible. You know, I was the vice chairman of the Problem Solvers Caucus in Congress. 25 Democrats, 25 Republicans. We met every week to try and find common ground and solve the problems. Swazi says he knows what voters want, and that's why he thinks he'll win. They want you fighting for the things that they care about, like solving the immigration crisis, like dealing with the cost of living, uh, dealing with Israel, dealing with Ukraine. I mean, people just want us to... To fight for stuff they care about. Of course, we'll be watching this race very closely. Early voting runs through February 11th of the special election that takes place February 13th. Out to New Jersey, where there was a deadly shooting yesterday. West Orange, a man shot and killed. John Burlow's friend was found dead inside a dark-colored Subaru. He says that his friend works for a repo man and... It may have been the fires, the bullets firing, and the him dead had to do with the fact that they were taking a car or trying to collect money from somebody who had made their payments. I heard about seven or eight shots ring out, and I looked out my window, and I saw about four or five officers pull up on the street, and within about five minutes, the whole entire sheet was roped off. Yeah, being a repo man, that's got to be a dangerous job. Fans of the victim say he worked at TIRS Recovery Service in towing. Burlow says he was talking to the victim who was the money man behind the operation. Right before the shooting, he says his friend was dealing with an upset customer who he says was the gunman. So this all playing out very quickly. Unfortunately, this gentleman dead. He was uh, yelling and screaming at the uh, victim. It's a repo man, and he was trying to get his, turn his car back to him. So yelling and screaming, got outrageous with him, and got angry. And I left, and when I came back, the guy was shot. Yeah, so here's the weird part of the story. So apparently the gunman did pay the fee for his car. And then he pulled out, and then he pulled back in, and that's when he shot the repo man. All I can do is pray for him tonight, say the prayers tonight when I go to bed, and hope he's accepted in heaven. 542, let's bring it back into the city. Search is on for a hit-and-run driver. Somebody left an 83-year-old man to die in the street. I mean, thankfully, he's actually still alive, but very critical condition. The older pedestrian was in Park Slope near 6th Avenue and Union Street about 2.30 in the afternoon. So middle of the day, they uh, hit him, and then they keep on driving. We go over there to check in. He got the bleeding out. So a lot of people try to call 911. We, we do. And... 
try to help on these guys. Of course, it was a beautiful day Saturday. Lots of people out on the street, especially in a place like Park Slope. They all raced over to help this 83-year-old. Meanwhile, the driver took that time to just get away. You guys, the face uh, have a lot of blood, nose and uh, face really hurt. We see. And the uh, ambulance is coming very soon. Yeah, NYPD cops uh, don't have uh, this guy in custody yet, but they apparently have a pretty good description of the car. The FDNY and the Adams administration ramping up their efforts today to put an end to fires caused by the lithium-ion batteries. We've told you so many stories over the last year or so of these lithium-ion batteries, these second-rate ones causing fires, and they uh, they spread so quickly when there's an explosion. Just seconds later, the entire house or apartment can be up in fire, up in flames. Fire Commissioner Laura Kavanaugh says they're calling on Congress to pass a ban on uncertified lithium-ion batteries from entering the country. A lot of these batteries bought online or in secondhand shops, and these are the ones that are causing all the problems. That is critical. We here in New York City have already banned these unsafe devices, and yet we continue to see them show up. We continue to see them in homes, and we continue to see them killing New Yorkers. Unfortunately, just people don't have the knowledge that buying these uh, second-rate batteries that tend to be a lot cheaper are the ones that cause these fires. She says, uh, Kavanaugh, she's going to support the governor in making sure they can't enter the state and propose new city legislation calling for an increased enforcement and fines for those who use the batteries illegally or just tamper with them. An item that caused zero deaths only a few years ago is now the leading cause of fires and fire deaths in New York City. Last year, it caused a total of 267 fires, 150 injuries, and 18 deaths of New Yorkers. Now, these are all people who were charging these bikes in their homes or in their apartment buildings, and then the battery explodes, and the flames, they spread really, really quickly. The fire department to continue to enforce how unusual these fires are. So when we call it a fire, it's really more of an explosion. Yeah, we've seen videos of it. It's very intense to watch. 545. Let's head over to the 77WABC Sports Desk where we find Justin Ellick. Thank you, Noam. Later, no local action on the hardwood in the NBA last night, but the Nets have us covered tonight, returning to action at home. They're getting set to welcome in the Golden State Warriors for 7.30 p.m. tip-off. The league did officially lose one of its superstars for an extended period of time last night with news dropping that Philadelphia 76ers star Joel Embiid, the reigning league MVP, will undergo a procedure to address a left meniscus tear. Uh, in the uh, coming days, the team announced last night. Embiid is expected to miss an extended period, but a more precise timeline isn't expected until doctors complete the procedure. The Sixers have emphasized, though, that the door is not closed on a return for Embiid this season. Coming right out of the All-Star break in the NHL, the Rangers and Islanders will open up second-half action tonight with respective 7 p.m. puck drops. In Toronto, the Islanders will butt heads with the Maple Leafs while the Rangers open up the Garden for a matchup with the visiting Colorado Avalanche. And finally, during a Pro Bowl Sunday in the NFL that saw the NFC beat the AFC 64-59, to more legal trouble arose for the Mahomes family. The father of Kansas City Chiefs star quarterback Patrick Mahomes was arrested Saturday night in Tyler, Texas on suspicion of driving while intoxicating. Uh, intoxicated, I should say. Patrick Mahomes, senior 54, is facing a charge of driving while intoxicated, third or more, with his bond being set at $10,000. He was released from the Smith County Jail yesterday afternoon. The charge is a third-degree felony and carries a sentence of up to 10 years in prison if he is convicted. His arrest comes just a week before his son is set to play against the San Francisco 49ers in Super Bowl 58 in 
Las Vegas. That's Sports Now, and I'm Justin Alec on 77 WABC. Let's catch you up on some of the big stories of the morning. Big announcement from the World Cup. The World Cup final going to be held at MetLife Stadium in 2026. FIFA making the news official on Sunday afternoon. It was actually a surprise. A lot of people thought the AT&T Stadium in Dallas would be awarded the final, but uh, New York, New Jersey gets it. Let's go, New Jersey and New York City. See you you in 2026. That was part of the video Mayor Adams and Governor Murphy made together as they made the pitch to FIFA to become the World Cup uh, final home. FIFA requires that there be natural grass services for all the World Cup games. MetLife says they'll put it down for the tournament. The New Jersey venue, which of course is home to the Jets and Giants, beat out cities like Los Angeles and Dallas. Governor Murphy at a watch party when the did not know who was going to win, so he was pretty surprised. There was a part of them who thought, no, New Jersey will get some of the games, but not the final. So he was, he was just as shocked as everyone else. This is the most diverse part of, never mind the country, the entire world. Uh, Eric and I were making that pitch that it's not just huge soccer culture, but huge diversity values that are on the right side of, of history. Uh, you mentioned the economic impact, Camille. I'm told about $2 billion worth of economic impact. Yeah, people come from all over the world. Boston, Kansas City, Philadelphia, Houston, Seattle, San Francisco. They'll host some of the games, but the finals here, MetLife Stadium, 82,000 fans can fit in there. They've held a bunch of large-scale events. That might be part of the reason they got the game, the Super Bowl, among other big games they've hosted. We're going to have uh, people uh, in from from all around the globe for six or eight weeks, starting in June of uh, 2026. The economic impact of the World Cup is going to be north of $2 billion. We have all the accommodations. we got the transportation system. we got the, the region's diversity, and we got the know-how of doing big events. That's the CEO of the Meadowlands Authority. I, when they talk about the transportation, it is not fantastic at the Meadowlands. Talk to anybody who's gone to a late-night concert or a football game. It can be tough to get out of the Meadowlands. Hopefully, they'll fix that. they got two years to do that. Three matches of the 20. 24 Copa America. That'll be held at MetLife as well. So that'll be a chance for them to test out before the World Cup comes. To have the final in New York, New Jersey, um, you know, is a dream come true for me. To think about, you know, when I was little going to watch the Cosmos and them selling out Giant Stadium and now this stadium's going to host a, a World Cup final. So it, it's re- really special. That's the head of American soccer. And then you just have the regular business guys. Uh, some in East Rutherford, some in the city, some small business owners saying they're happy that it's coming here, especially East Rutherford. They say on game day, they make a lot of money. Anything that involves the MetLife Stadium or down in the Meadowlands usually increases business tenfold. It usually goes up everywhere, in every business in town, you'll see it. Yeah, so the Copa America this summer and then 2026, the World Cup, which is kind of cool. We left you on Friday. We were telling you about this lost dog who boarded a New Jersey transit train, reunited over the weekend with its owner. The dog apparently followed some commuter at the West Orange Station on Thursday, got on the train, stayed there till the Hoboken Terminal, which is the last stop on that line. The Humane Society of Jersey City was called in to pick him up. They had even named the dog. They looked for a chip. The dog had not been chipped. Then the story, of course, went viral. And over the weekend, the owner, they didn't tell us who it was, but the owner showed up and took his dog back home. And so that story ended nicely. Over the weekend... 
We've been watching the reaction to the Biden administration's moves in the Middle East on response to that horrendous attack, drone attack in Jordan that killed three American military members. A member of the Biden administration says the U.S. gave Iraq sufficient advance notice about the airstrikes that all took on Friday against Iran-backed militias. We also want to see the Iraqi government move with more alacrity to help us uh, rid the threat of these militia groups on Iraqi soil. National Security Council spokesman John Kirby says uh, there says there were appropriate notifications and discussions with the Iraqi government prior to the airstrikes in Iraq and Syria. There were appropriate notifications and discussions with the, the Iraqi government. I'll leave it at that. The Houthis are attacking shipping that has absolutely nothing to do with Israel. That's National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan says uh, he believes the U.S. airstrikes will help out. He doesn't think they'll jeopardize efforts to free the hostages that are still held by Hamas in Gaza, about 132 of them. He says the hostage deal is completely separate from this attack that was laid out over the weekend. It's up to Hamas to come forward and respond to uh, what is a serious proposal. And we will continue to press the Qataris and the Egyptians to try to generate a positive response to that. Yes, so there is some apparently some positive uh, news in this deal that Israel offered up that they would uh, do a temporary pause in the war for humanitarian aid to get into Gaza, uh, some uh, Gazans or some Palestinians being held in Israeli prisons would be freed and returned for the release of all the hostages that are left in Gaza. I haven't gotten an official word on this, but apparently there's been some positive movement. Uh, a top White House official says the U.S. does intend to launch more airstrikes against Iran-backed groups in the Middle East. We intend to take additional strikes uh, and additional action to continue to send a clear message that the United States will respond when our forces are attacked or our people are killed. Now, the Pentagon says it is ready for retaliation to those airstrikes. I can't predict the future on how Iran will respond, but I can tell you that whatever they do and whatever these IRGC-backed groups do, either in Iraq or Syria or anywhere else in the world, the United States military will always respond and hold those forces accountable. All right, out on the campaign trail over the weekend, former President Trump says... It'll be a little while before he selects a running mate. It's got to be who would be a good president. I mean, you always have to think that because, you know, in case of emergency, things happen, right? No matter who you are, things happen. It's got to be number one. Tim Scott, uh, one of the people he's thinking about, of course, that's the South Carolina senator who did run for the White House, dropped out of the race. I watched him in the last week defending me and sticking up for me and fighting for me. I said, man, I said, you're a much better person for me than you are for yourself. He also likes South Dakota Governor Kristi Noem. Kristi Noem has been incredible fighting for me. She said I'd never run against him because I can't beat him. That was a very nice thing to say. Big weekend for President Biden winning the South Carolina primary, then meeting with supporters. He says there's more at stake in 2024 than just his bid for re-election. This is not just a campaign. This is more of a mission. We cannot, we cannot we cannot lose this campaign for the good of the country. And I mean that from the bottom of my heart. It's not about me. It goes well beyond me. It goes about the country. He got 97% of the vote in the South Carolina primary on Saturday. And we'll end as it is pothole season everywhere. 
uh, I don't know about you, but boy, you're running into these streets that are just awful. Probably doesn't make a whole lot of sense to fill them now because the winter is not over. In Somers, they're frustrated. They say it's a never-ending problem on Route 118 in the 202 corridor. Everywhere you go, uh, their tires flat everywhere you go. We are disgusted with the roads in Somers. The taxpayers are fed up. Kathy Hochul, Peter Harkham, we are fed up. Fix our roads. Peter Harkin, of course, the local state senator there, you know, again, they got to wait till the season's over, but it's always awful until it is. You cannot drive, especially at night. The roads are so dark. Everyone is swerving to get around these different potholes, and it's just an accident waiting to happen. Yeah, I went into one over the weekend that I felt like my whole car was in the pothole. Uh, those are the ones they should fix right away. They, those small little ones, you're going to have to wait until winter's over and those crews start going out and filling them.